Morning. Good. Works this time. Excellent. My name is Anthony Vahala, and uh, we are lead pastor. That's um, Daniel introduced me at least pastor. That's kind of interesting to me at least. Uh, we're just the folks that will have a different zip code than most of you, and. I have this great honor to teach God's word this morning. Uh, if you remember, there was a guy here singing Salty Shiny. Uh, his name is David McWhite, his wife April. Um, they, are, they have been considering and praying and then feeling that God is leading them actually to go with us to the Czech Republic. And after the ser- first service, David said that he never felt more sure about God's call in his life. And... Uh, for me, personally, it was an amazing glimpse into the future where somebody like David will come alongside of us and not all the folks, for the sake of gospel, handle the musical aspects of church planting so that uh, I don't have to do any of that. <laughs> but it was... It was priceless to see for us. It's very affirming, very encouraging to have somebody from Northway come alongside of us uh, and to go to this heathen country of Czech Republic. Now, this is how you would be greeted in Czech, most likely. Vítám vás, bratři a sestry v Ježíši Kristu, našem spasiteli. That would be the general greeting to believers in Christ. In the morning, and that will be the last thing I'll say in another language, hopefully. Let's look at our text, which is in Isaiah 43, and we'll read it and pray. But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I will give, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for you, your life. Fear not, for I am with you, I will bring you your offspring from the east, and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? 
Let them bring their witness to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and, uh, and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I declare and saved and proclaim when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth I am he, there is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? God, we ask you now for your grace to come to us. Grace to hear, grace for me to, to speak your word clearly, to proclaim it for hearts that would be open to your, to your truth, and that we would continue in this time of worship, this time worshiping through hearing and preaching of your word. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. This weekend is all about missions. As you go around, you see the posters with missionaries. And we are called to be missionaries. But ultimately, it is God who is on mission. God is on mission, and we are the extension of His gracious mission to the world. And it didn't just start with us as a church. God was on His mission from the very beginning. Soon as after the fall, God is on his mission. And for that purpose, God raised Israel, as you remember, in the Old Testament. He raised Israel to be the light to the nations around them. And they were to declare the glory of God to the nations, to those who were around them. And we see some of that in the lives of Ruth, who followed Naomi. Who, Ruth, Ruth, who was Moabitess. Or we see that in the harlot, Rahab, in Jericho, that followed, that feared the God of the Israelites. But something happened. The mission of Israel began to fail. And ultimately, Israel stopped being that beacon that was supposed to be. And, in, and instead, they spread darkness. What you find, Israel has failed. They were not like Gideon any longer, who would tear down the idols, who would tear down the altars of Baal. They became more like Ahab. They follow Ahab, who was a king who established idols and worshipped them. This fall was a result of idolatry. Israel was called to confront the idols of those around them. Instead, they converted to those idols. And the effects were devastating. Isaiah says that Israel became deaf and blind. And in fact, as a result, God has sent Isaiah with a message of condemnation to the people of Israel. The, you hear this message of death and blindness is going to spread among you because you have turned to idols. And we wonder, where did that come from? How is it possible? What is that language about deaf, deafness and blindness? And we find some answers in Psalm 115. And as you go through it, you see the, the description of the God of Israel, but also the contrast with the other gods, with the idols. And these idols, they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. 
noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. They have feet but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. And then it says this, those who make them become like them. As Israel was turning to these idols, they were continually, increasingly becoming like these idols. I'm sure you've seen the movie Narnia, Prince Caspian, the second one. And there is one part, which is just in a movie, not in a book actually, where the kids all come up on the, on the shore. And as they come out on the shore, they rescue that little troll, Trumpkin, and they bring him out of the boat, and there is a bear. And Lucy comes to the bear and wants to talk to him. And instead, the bear turns around and just charges at her. And Trumpkin has to kill the bear with an arrow to save Lucy's life. And all the kids were just puzzled what has happened. Edmund says, I think he was wild. And Peter would say, I don't think he could talk at all. And Trumpkin said this. He said, you're treated as a dumb animal long enough. That's what you become. And this is what has happened to Israel. They were following the idols for so long they have become like them. They became spiritually deaf and spiritually blind. And the mission of God was not taking place. It is the idolatry destroyed Israel's witness to God. But we are not that much different from Israel, are we? When you look in the pages of the New Testament, you have Paul and John warning the believers, flee from idolatry. Children, keep yourself from idols. We are not that much different from the people of Israel. We are prone to look around. And instead of going after the idols, instead of confronting the idols around us, we begin to slowly convert to them. The same warning is even issued later in the book of Revelation when you find these churches being warned that if they continue in their, in their idolatries, they will soon lose their identity in Christ. And so what we find is a very dangerous obstacle in the life of the church, and that's idolatry. I came across a speech of Christopher Wright, famous Old Testament theologian, who presented this speech as one of the biggest missionary conferences in Lausanne, in Cape, was it Cape Town, South Africa. And he said that idolatry is the biggest obstacle to world missions. Now we look at idolatry and we might think, well, we're not idolatrous in any way, are we? We don't have blocks of wood that we worship. We don't have iron cast idols we bow down to. We don't have any of that. But we all know that idols take different shapes and forms. Idol is not necessarily something but idol is anything that we trust apart from Christ to make us happy, satisfied, or fulfilled. Something that we desire more than Christ. Something to which we look to more than Christ to save us. Something we fear more than we fear God. Something we trust and depend on more than God. We tend to love and desire comfort and health. We hope to cash in on the benefits that God promises us, but we ignore the benefactor. We like the love of God, but we don't like the God of love necessarily. Now, all these things don't necessarily have to be bad. Our idols don't necessarily have to be evil. They could be good things. 
I have kids, and so I desire that my kids would obey. But if this desire becomes inordinate, too much, it becomes an idol. I will be more concerned about my kids obeying rather than my kids trusting Christ. And so we are not ourselves immune to idols. We are sinful just as the Israelites. And these idols are bombarding us. And, and maybe some of them come to your minds. Is it Ford? Is it Dodge? Is it Honda? Is it North Face or Hilfiger? Is it Chinese food? Briars, Hershey's, Edie's? Duke, UNC? Does it come with a little apple on the back? Or is it a specific brand of theology? Specific type of worship? Or is it the Christ-given freedom rather than the Christ, the giver of freedom that we are so enamored with? See, some of these things are not necessarily gods or idols, or we don't see them that way, but they are in, in a way our accessories. Because we are very subtle. They are our accessories to what we truly worship. Certain clothes might be an accessory to worship the God of appearance. We want to look a certain way. We want to fit in certain circles. We want to have certain status, so we got to drive that specific type of car. All these things keep bombarding us. And they're destroying the mission of God in the world. See, because God's mission for the church is the church on a mission. And we cannot be like Rachel and sit secretly on our idols, thinking that somehow we can evangelize the world. We cannot tear down the idols of those who are outside before we, can, before we tear down the idols that are within. We cannot be like Gideon if we have the heart of Ahab. And so, as we look at this text, I want to first focus on tearing the idols within. Because that will really free us then to tear the idols without. Now, if you look at our text, it's a very interesting passage. It starts with a but, which immediately should put up flags. Why is there a but? If you look through Isaiah, the picture is pretty dim. The Israelites are not doing well, and they're receiving curses. They are going to exile. They are being slaved. And at this point, the tone changes, and God begins to promise to them. He makes these amazing promises. And we ought to wonder, how is that possible? Israel has done nothing at this point to deserve these promises. There's nothing in Israel's activity as they are in exile. There's nothing they're doing that suddenly should change God's mind and say, okay, from now on, I'm going to bless you. There's nothing of that sense. Yet, what we find in verse 1, God promises grace. He says, I'm your creator. I formed you which is a pun on the way that the, the idolaters, worshipers, would form their little fashion, their little idols. I formed you. I have redeemed you. You are mine. And then he 
I think, alludes to the time when God rescued Israel through the waters of uh, Red Sea as he parted it, and as well as opening up Jordan as they went across Jordan, and even possibly to the uh, three Hebrew boys who were going through the fires. All these things he's promising them. I'm Lord your God. He's talking about being their Savior, given ransom. Some translation used the word propitiation that we find in the New Testament. And then he's talking about this bright future, verses 4 through 7. And then God shows his power, showing who he is, that he is the eternal God. And he has chosen his people. And he has chosen them to know him. He has chosen them that, so that you may know, in verse 10, you may know and believe me. The, the language that we find in the Old Testament when Abraham who believed God, or Moses, who knew God face to face, the, the intimacy is promised here. And then again, God declares in verse 13, His sovereignty, His eternality, and His power. Nobody can turn things against God. He prevails. He overcomes. And the question that should be in our minds is, how is that possible? How is it that God doesn't pour out the curses? All these blessings he's promising, the blessings that he reminds us are, are in the covenant that he established with people of Israel. But if you remember, the covenant had blessings and it also had curses. And at this point, Israel is completely disobedient. And what, what Israel should receive is curses. Yet God does what? He promises them blessings. What has happened to the curse? Is is God not just? Is He not going to pour out the curse? He should pour out a curse. We deserve this punishment. The answer is in chapter before. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 7, tells us this. Behold my servant, and hopefully you have a capital S, so that should remind you, this is not Israel. This is a different servant. And this servant will be perfect. He will uphold things. My chosen one, whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nation. He will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and dimly burning wig he will not extinguish. He's very tender and merciful and he will faithfully bring forth justice he is just he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law thus says the lord who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth in its offspring and then skip to verse 6 i am the lord i have called you in righteousness i will also hold you by the hand watch over you i will appoint you he's talking to the servant as what? As the covenant to the people, as light to the nation, to nations, to open the open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the dungeon. This servant will bring in a new covenant to this people of Israel. This servant will come and perfectly obey the purposes of God. And he will be a new covenant to these people, and his work will open their eyes. And open their ears. 
And this is the servant that we find later in Isaiah 53, where he is doing what? He is receiving that curse that Israel should have received. This is none other than Jesus Christ, our Savior. God has not given up on His justice. He has poured out His justice on Christ in my place and in yours. The grace that we see in the verses of Isaiah 43 and on is the grace that is rooted in the new covenant brought in by Jesus Christ. And it's the grace that enables us and enables us to destroy the idols within. See, this reversing of the idol-induced coma happens because Christ died on the cross. And that goes not for unbelievers only. When that happens to unbelievers, when their eyes are open, ears are open, we call that conversion. We call that redemption. Now, when it happens to us believers, we call it revival. As our hearts get rid of idols and we can clearly see who Christ is and our light is not dim and begins to shine. And our, we are called daily to fight these idols because they just keep popping out in our lives. And it's the very principle that we find in the New Testament where we continually hold on to the gospel as we fight these idols. There are no five steps to getting rid of idols. There is just one step, Christ and the gospel. And so what we see is like Romans Chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, Paul is calling us to be renewed, to be fighting, not conforming to the world around us. Essentially saying, fight the idols. Don't let them come in, crowd out Christ in your life. Don't let them come in, fight them. But what is the basis of this fight? Look in verse 1. By the mercies of God. It's the mercies of God that are the basis for us fighting these idols within. The mercies of God which are explained to us in full extent in chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Romans. Which is one of the clearest pictures descriptions of the gospel of Christ who died on the cross so that the idols within would be crushed. And as we crush these idols within, as we focus within and we crush these idols within by the power of gospel through the Holy Spirit, now our eyes are turned outwards and we begin to look around us and try and fight the idols of the world. And that happens, as you see, in, back in Isaiah, in verse 8, chapter 43, verse 8. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations together, gather together and the people assemble. So this is the picture here. You have this assembly, this huge gathering. And you have the nations, and then you have the people who are deaf and blind. Now who is that? That's Israel. And so the deaf and blind Israel is called out, and the nations are called out, and they brought out. Now, the word bring out is in the Old Testament used in the judicial sense. So what's happening here is there is this trial. There is this trial which will require evidence and witnesses. 
And what happens during the trial? Nations don't speak. Notice that there is not one thing that the nations do. When they're called to do, come to bring a witness, they don't speak. Like the time on Mount Carmel when Elijah was standing, preparing the altar, and he was in contest with the prophets of Baal. And the prophets of Baal kept calling out to their false god. And when, matter, when it mattered the most, what was the response of their false god? Complete silence. And then God turns in Isaiah 43. He turns to Israel. And what does He say to Israel? You are my witnesses. He turns to the deaf and to blind people in this text. And He tells them, you're going to be the people with eyes and ears and you will be my witnesses. How is that possible? It is that covenant He promised them. It is the covenant that they were looking forward to. And it's the covenant that we're looking back to. So what we have a picture of is now Israel is promised to be these great witnesses who will be purchased by this new covenant. So they will then confront the idols of the nations. And as you begin to picture this, your mind should immediately fly to Acts chapter 1 and 2. And what do you find there? You find in chapter 1 Jesus. And Jesus has his disciples. Jesus just accomplished the covenant. He came, He died on a cross, He sealed it with His blood, He rose again. He was the perfect obedient servant who carried out God's will to a T. But not only that, He was the perfect witness who witnessed to the glory of God and righteousness of God as He hung on a cross, as we read in Romans 3. And so this perfect God, who is the only Savior, who has identified Himself over and over as God, now echoes the words that we find God speaking in Isaiah. And he turns to his disciple. He turns to all of them and he says what? He turns to us and he says what? You are my witnesses. You are the witnesses of the work that I have done on the cross. You are the witnesses. You bring forth the evidence of my work on the cross, my resurrection. What I have done. That work continues through his church. Even to this day. As His redeemed, we are called to be the witnesses to Christ. We are called to look around like Paul when he was in Athens. As he's walking around and he sees all these idols and he gets really fired up inside. And his desire is to confront this situation. His desire is to, to tell him about this unknown God. And so as you and I live our lives as we are looking in slaying the idols within we also are looking out because we have friends family neighbors co-workers they all have idols in their lives and we are out there and we're like Gideon and we are out there and smashing the idols that's that's what we are called to do because God is most glorified through His church as He is put on a pedestal. Not these idols, not these things that don't matter, just Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we go around angry about it. We go and just kind of violently knock things over. and That's, that's when we have to look back to the gospel and see, how did Jesus do that? Did Jesus go around that way? 
No, we see Christ coming in full of mercy and grace and truth. Commanding us to be wise as serpents, yet innocent as doves. Serving to a point of dying on the cross. Taking the life of the wicked people like you and me. So that we may have life, that we may be freed from these idols. Allowing himself to be beaten and killed. So that we can have the gospel, that we can have Christ through the gospel. And the very things that the world calls weak, the gospel that the world calls foolish, is the very thing that breaks the neck of idols. Not just our own, but the idols of the world. And so think about it. What are the idols in the lives of the people around you? As we're going through Czech Republic, we're preparing for this employment through going through classes at the church. Jeff Doe's leading that. And we're going through preaching manual. And one, there was a very interesting question that reminded me how full of idols the culture that I'm going to is. It asked the question, in the area you're going to plant a church, why don't you draw a five-mile radius and within that five-mile radius, count the churches that are 15 years or older. And then do the same radius and find the churches that are, or list the churches that are 15 years and younger. Now, that was a very simple math for me. This is zero. I can draw the radius even further, and it's still going to be zero. Now, then they asked a question, how important it is, you think, to plant a church in that area. Extremely important. There are idols everywhere. It's not the typical idols that we think and see in pictures somewhere in India. These are the idols of pleasure, power, possession, status. Idols of atheists, agnostics, pluralists. The same idols that my own parents still bow down to. And we as a church, especially on this weekend, are reminded that our mission is God's mission. The mission of God for the church is the church on a mission. Confronting the idols within and confronting the idols without. Let's pray. God, you are merciful to us. You give us precious son who freed us from the bondage, shackles of sin. Who is our only way to you? Who is our only way to be freed from idols in our lives? God, make, make us mindful of our own idols and things that keep us from trusting you above all things. Finding our greatest pleasure in you. And give us the eyes to see the idols of those around us. And help us to, to confront those idols in the way Christ did. So that they may see the value, the beauty, the greatness of our God and King, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen.